Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to wherever you are in the world listening to or perhaps watching on YouTube, Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. I am your host, Jennifer Shinkai. And as always, I was listening back to some previous episodes going, I'm very excited. As always, I'm very excited. And I am always very excited for the guests that we have on the show because I spend a lot of time seeing who might be interesting, what diverse stories we have to tell, what different ways we can approach this topic of Ikigai and give ourselves like wider perspective, more nuance, more different ways to uh, approach the topic and to lead lives which are all more meaningful for each of us, which is going to be measured differently for each of us as well. And Menda Hinga is someone who has been on my periphery for a while. And maybe it was before the summer, we're recording now just as the weather has turned in, oh thank goodness, in Tokyo into autumn in early October. And I've been aware of Menya for a couple of things. One, because I am a Spartan and I've been aware of Sogo Fitness that he's a co-founder of. This is Suns Out, Guns Out, if I'm not incorrect. That is correct. Right. I do not have any guns. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> in my upper body strength. Uh, but there you go. I'm aware of like what a brilliant community that is. And that's an offshoot from the work that many has done around supporting high performers as originally you were a personal trainer, kind of standard meeting people at the gym and so on. Uh, but now he's an online health and fitness coach. So you were ahead of the COVID game there. Um, he's also a dad. Just, just yes, got it. Just got in. Yeah, just got it. He's <laughs> also a dad. And I was there. I was doom strolling on Facebook the other day. And who should come onto my feed? But Menya and his wife being interviewed. I'm not sure by who, but I was like, whoa, there's Menya talking about what a challenge it is to raise multicultural kids in Japan as well. So I was like, oh, this is all working out perfectly. But the reason that I invited Menya specifically at this time is I've been very intrigued by your recent posts about sobriety and being alcohol free um, on LinkedIn. One, because that's a place where people don't talk about it a lot. Uh, a lot of people are posting about, oh, we had this big event and everybody was doing kampai and so on, you know, saying cheers. And then also personally, because at the time that we're recording, I'm 11 months sober, alcohol free. I'm still not quite sure what word I should uh, I should share. So it just kind of came into a timing that was interesting for me. And there's more people around on this path. So that was a long intro, but we're going to be talking about this idea of making a big change and the identity uh, issues that kind of come up with this through all of Menya's personal story, as well as what he's seen with his clients too. And then we have some other little interesting topics about habits and contentments coming up. Hopefully that's the plan. But as you know, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, anything goes, we might go off on a massive tangent and we'll just have to follow up with a post uh, with a blog post later on. But many are welcome. That was the longest intro on record. So thank you so much for coming today. <laughs> and yeah, tell me a little bit more about yourself that listeners might want to know and hear to give them some context of 
who you are, why you're here. Well, first of all, thank you very much for the introduction. And likewise, you've been on my periphery for a very long time. I've been invited to numerous events that you've been at, either participating or just, or, or actually, sorry, participating in the event or just you know, as a bystander. And we've just missed each other time mm. and time again. So I really appreciate that you reached out to do this because what better way to get to know you than to do this? So thank you for having me. About myself, I'll go with a very, very short story from the US, been in Japan for 14 years, have a wife and some kids, and I've worked with many, many, many people here in the city, and then honestly, people from all over the world, namely the US, Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, and some uh, different countries in Europe, but probably mainly US and Australia, are the big not Japan um, countries. And as you mentioned, I got into the online health and fitness space just before COVID, it was just coincidence, 2019 spring, and since then, business has been overall great. Obviously, most trainers probably made, tried to make at least a transition online around the 2020 period. And again, I just kind of happened to move my business on there for a variety of different reasons, the biggest of which I think you and I spoke about prior to this, which is just that I wanted to serve people better than I was mm. able to as a personal trainer. And I think making that transition online has given uh, me in particular the the time and the, the resources to deliver to people more than what I could as a, as a face-to-face trainer. And so I love the work I do. I'm happy to tell you all about it. And um, it's been a joy to be able to do something I love and to help people for the past, you know, 11 years. I feel, I feel really blessed to be in this space doing what I do. Yeah. Well, it seems like that you get, you get results with your clients and I love the fact that you've pivoted into this new space. And I think, Mm -hmm. Some people, myself included, I'm having a little bit like, well, what would be different? Why would I have an online health coach rather than like meeting someone at the gym? Like, what are these other things and how can it help me? Awesome question. So realistically, as a personal trainer, uh, I spent the majority of my time with the client for during a 60 minute session once or twice a week. And there is great value in doing that. What personal Mm. trainers do is fantastic. I full admiration for the work they do. But the reality is your average personal trainer doesn't have a tremendous amount of time or doesn't invest a tremendous amount of time outside of your 60 minutes to help you with the other things that actually matter. And if you think about any given day, you know, one hour is one of 24 hours in a given week. It's one of, you know, a lot of hours that (laughs) that you see your trainer. And then outside of that, you're kind of on your own. You know, maybe you get some meal guidelines. um, Maybe you've got a protein goal. Try not to eat more than these calories. But, you know, it's kind of just go get it. And I hope it works out. And so I felt like I was doing my clients a disservice because there was just focusing on nutrition. There was just so much more that I could have delivered to them, especially in terms of the basics like education. Mm. Most people who have any interest in health and fitness have maybe heard of macros or macronutrients, protein, fat, carbs. I'm sure most people I work with are quite educated and they've gone out and read some articles, watched some videos. They've maybe worked with a trainer in the past, but usually when I when I work with somebody, it's somebody who comes and says, look, I've worked with a trainer before. I've tried this program and it hasn't really worked in the long term. Like maybe I you know, I lost 15 kg, but then my job changed and I gained it all back. And so what I really aim to do is help people not only accomplish whatever their goal is, but know how to continue creating new results for themselves outside of like once we finish doing what we do. And the way to do that is to teach. So honestly, I do it. A lot of the you know early stage coaching is is teaching. It's gathering information from the person, you, whoever it may be, and then 
you know, teaching the basics. These are macronutrients. This is hydration. This is the glycemic index. This is why these things matter. This is going to be our goal for this. This is our goal for that. And then we just, we track it together, make incremental changes. And, you know, we, we get there because it's just a matter of making really small changes over time. It's a kind of James Clear atomic habits thing. It's mm. not about, you know, perfection early. It's about 1%. So we just aim for 1% every day. And again, as a coach, I can do that. I can, you know, I can ping them and we can communicate daily. As a trainer, it just didn't work that bad. It was once a week, maybe, maybe twice a week. And yeah. so I think the primary difference is number one, deliverables or, you know, 5x what I could as a PT in terms of content. And then probably two is touch points, which really ties into accountability. So my ability to help people remain more accountable now as a coach in this space is so much greater than it was when I was a personal trainer. And that side in particular, I think is really what makes the difference, accountability. And it sounds like as well that your goal much more now you're working in the online space as a coach rather than as a personal trainer is to make people like not need you anymore. Yeah, the term I use exactly. Again, you and I spoke of this briefly earlier. The term I use is fitness autonomy. I don't think it's mm. a I don't think it's a term out there, but it's something I I, I use. Trademark, I really trademark. want people to <laughs> I know, I know I should really trademark it. I really want people to work with me and then not need to ever work with me or another trainer again. Again, mm. not to say the trainers aren't great. And frankly, if somebody wanted to just try something new, you know, going and hiring a trainer to help you learn how to perform exercises correctly is a great idea. But in terms of getting the results you want with maybe weight management or stress management or sleep improvement, et cetera, those are things that I feel like people should be able to manage on their own, but maybe they just, and this is another quite big issue that I think the educational component of coaching helps with. There's a lot of noise today. Mm. Um, we all have, you know, we're all on social media or on the internet in one way or another, and there's a tremendous amount of noise with regard to diets or, you know, the best way to sleep or the best way to de-stress or the best kind of exercise, you know, program to do. And frankly, every fitness professional is kind of, you know, selling his or her a different angle on the whole thing. And I understand that I'm in the industry, I get it, but I really try to take a step back. And as opposed to Menya's method being the best method that's ever existed, I really want to just look and say like, okay, what is fitness? Fitness mm -hmm. is fundamentally like it's, you know, a form of conditioning and strength training. And then within those two categories, we've got this, this, that, 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 that. And then you realize, okay, there are a myriad of ways that I can get into, I can improve my fitness because there are a myriad of ways in which you can, you can go about that. The same applies to nutrition. There isn't one perfect way to go about eating. You could eat better and get results in a myriad of ways. And then, you know, sleep, stress management, et cetera. So we kind of look at all that. So like, these are all the options. And then obviously given what you enjoy doing or what you have available to you or what you know you can afford to do, et cetera, these probably make most sense. Do you agree? Yes, great. Let's find a way to integrate these into what's already going on in your in your life slash your lifestyle. And then, you know, kind of seamlessly at, you know, again, 1%. How do we just, you don't do any walking? Let's do some walking. Mm -hmm. um, you're not controlling what you eat at all. Let's manage that a little bit. So it's just very... You know, very incremental changes to the big picture that over time really make a massive difference. Right. And I really like how... Did I actually get to... But, I'm not sure. By the way, did I actually answer your question? I can't remember. I can't remember <laughs> what my question was now, but it was very interesting. And I was... I, was I hope I did. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I, I don't... Okay. I never have like a list of like, this question must be answered in this way or like, this is what okay. I'm going to get out of it. So, but what I'm taking away from what you said is in terms of the theme of, of Ikigai, when a lot of people do come to it with an interest in longevity yep. um, and health, yep. and it's very much like, okay, we all need to eat like everyone in Okinawa. But, you know, that yes. doesn't 
like work for everyone. I mean, depending on where you are, what no. ingredients you have <laughs> access to, what your food preferences are, yeah. and the amount of That's... time that you have to like prepare a meal, all of those things. So I really appreciate that you work to align with your client on like what their needs yes. are, what their lifestyle's like. So how are we going to make it work? And there isn't just, you know, one way or this, you know, amazing point in the Venn diagram Menu's where it all method. comes together. Menu's <laughs> method. Um, yeah. It's more yeah. like, yeah, what's going to work for you and, and what are those goals? Um, yeah, and, and one of the things um, which you talk a lot about is the people's relationships with alcohol. So tell yes. me a little bit about what brought you to be quite vocal about this topic on social media it, on especially on LinkedIn which I think is interesting because that's not a space where it gets talked about a lot yeah so for me again my really quick story I've number one I've got a YouTube video out there it's a 20 minute long sum on video and it, it goes into detail about how I used to drink with quite comical videos of me doing keg stands and you know putting back uh bottles of vodka and such obviously college days and, and early 20s to, you know, kind of me now and why that relationship changed. And I think in a nutshell, I'll get to the, I'll, I'll make sure I address the LinkedIn side of things, but I think in a nutshell, drinking served me perfectly at a certain stage in my life. When I was in college or just out of college, my early twenties in Japan, drinking was great. It was a, it was a very, in many ways for me, it kind of enriched my experience when I was in my twenties is probably the best way to put it. And if I were to go back, I actually don't know that I would necessarily change a whole lot because I think I really did enjoy that experience. Mm. Now I'm in my mid thirties. I've got a wife and family. My priorities are very different. Uh, my lifestyle is very different and alcohol just doesn't serve me the same way that it used to. And so similar to maybe old friends who you kind of grow away from over time as maybe mm. you move up in life or you change over the course of time and maybe those friends don't and you realize we are not what, who we used to be. And because of that, maybe it's better if, you know, we spend a little less time together. <laughs> and I think relation, my relationship with alcohol, honestly, was just like that. I kind of just got over it. And, you know, how I got there, or the, I guess the main reason I got there was probably because I kept having the same experience again and again, where I would enjoy alcohol, but then the following day or following several days, uh, I would feel unfulfilled. And so I ended up at some point asking myself four main questions, which were, you know, why do I drink? What results am I getting from it? Are those results fulfilling? And do those results align with my values? And when I actually sat and wrote out those four questions, I realized that I drank because I had been drinking in my 20s. And it was just kind of what I or what I had been doing. It's what I started doing in college. And it kind of just led from there. And then the results I got from it, while they were fun at a certain point, they weren't nearly as rewarding as maybe they were in the past. And so mm -hmm. I was kind of doing it because I just always done it. And that related to are they fulfilling? Not really. And then do those results align with my values? And I think that's really the big one because once I reached my late 20s and I, as I started to get away from drinking as much, I just realized that my values had changed. Like I didn't want to go out and, you know, engage with alcohol and friends in the same way that I did when I was 22 or 23 or 24. And that led me to just a different kind of place where I said, oh, I, I'd rather do things differently. And mind you, almost none of this in my particular case relates directly to health and wellness. It wasn't, you know, I was actively working out. I was working in the fitness space at that time. So it wasn't even a health and wellness concern that shifted me out of the space. But I think in terms of probably more than anything, kind of my mental health, like the mm -hmm. amount of frustration and irritation and kind of pain that I experienced after drinking, i.e. hangovers and just lack of productivity and, you know, self-talk about 
you know, making decisions while drinking that I knew I shouldn't have made. It was just, it got to a place where it was, it became more of an evil than a good. And mm. it became very clear. And when I sat down to write out those questions and answer them, and I just looked at my answers, it was so clear to me that it was, it was doing me a disservice rather than a service. So it, it became quite easy to then just logically look at it and say, like, I guess it's time to move away from this. And then I did. And the reason I, now to bring this to LinkedIn, the reason I, you know, I post so much about it on places like LinkedIn, and I've posted quite a bit on Facebook and Instagram. And again, I've got a video on YouTube. It's because I think in the world of business, especially in Japan, as we both know, there is a huge drinking culture. Mm. And I believe the term, I think I heard it from David Sweet. I think the term is nomi, 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 no, no, uh, no communication, no communication. That, so no communication, no communication. No drinking and communication. Yes. Yeah, no communication. Yes. It's an important yes, management exactly. tool. Communication. Yes. Okay, exactly. And that's a real thing. So if you're in the business world and you're in Japan, you know, drinking and, you know, building relationships, striking deals with people is a real thing. But I think most people would agree, honestly, who even participate in that whole thing, that it's it's done in excess. And mm. it's overall, obviously, not a particularly healthy, physical or mentally healthy thing uh, to do in, in excess. So I post about it because I want people to know that there is another way. I think what I found most interesting is we live in a time where not drinking alcohol, so choosing to not drink this thing that is fundamentally not good for you, is considered strange, <laughs> but drinking is considered normal. Yeah. And in the same way, and this is a this is a tangent on food, it's almost bizarre that when somebody starts eating healthily, we call that going on a diet. But if somebody's eating, you know, McDonald's every day and eating junk food every day, that would be considered normal. And that's mm. bizarre to me. So somebody eats healthily, they're on a diet. Somebody doesn't drink, suddenly like they're sober and that's kind of strange or they're alcohol free and that's strange. When in fact, it really should be the other way around. So I'm hoping to just normalize eating healthy food, taking care of your body, maybe drinking less or deciding not to drink alcohol because it's not good for you. Um, mm. That's that's the side I'm on. Amazing. There's so many different parts that I want to go back to on this. So I appreciate that you answered the question. <laughs> sure. I haven't even got in the LinkedIn sure. bit as well. Like, I no, no, he said he's going to go to it. So um, <laughs> I want to go back to what you said about the analogy of like, you know, growing yes. apart from a friend. So I want yes. to know um, how you broke up. Like, did you just ghost alcohol? Yes. <laughs> uh, did you like have a couple of one night stands and then still kind of regret? I don't know. Maybe we don't have one night stands with our friends. Friends with benefits. Anyway, but you know, how how, how for you was that experience of like changing that relationship? Because like with friends, mm. if they're like friends from university or something, then we kind of stop seeing each other a little bit. And we never actually like say... Uh, hey, Benya, um, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. Uh, you're it's not over. serving me. <laughs> yeah. You're not mm. serving me in the way that you used to. Can you imagine? <laughs> I think maybe some people yeah. like maybe need to do that. And that's probably a very good way to like get rid of toxic relationships, which perhaps uh, many people do have. I did have, maybe still have uh, with alcohol, but there you go. So yeah, how did you, how did you split up? How, how did you grow away so from this friend? Mine was, again, mine was a long time coming. I've got, so first of all, to take it back and then I'll definitely address mm. the question. My mother drinks, I would call it like recreation. She's with the women, she'll have a glass of wine. She's not yeah. a big drinker. 
My father drank when he was quite young. So I believe in his 20s, he drank. But as he entered his 30s, for whatever reason, he stopped drinking. Mm -hmm. And I think in his case, he didn't have an issue. I think he, or he didn't have a drinking issue. I think he he actually had an issue with ulcers. Like each time mm -hmm. he drank, he would experience like medical problems. And right. he realized like, I should stop drinking alcohol. So I grew up with seeing my dad never drink. And my entire family drinks basic. And I say this with love, not that they're alcoholics, but they drink a lot. <laughs> I come from a family, okay. I'm, I'm like an extended family where drinking is a very big part of getting together with family and celebrating. Mm. And so, you know, my net kind of understanding of alcohol is it's not like, oh, alcohol is not bad. It helps kind of enrich this experience with family. That was my understanding as a kid. I didn't drink until I got to college. Then I got to college, drinking started for me uh, up and through probably my late 20s, I want to say 28, 29. And then again, I just, I, I asked myself, the same questions again and again like why am i doing this i could feel that within me there was something starting to change in terms of that relationship mm. and it wasn't really it wasn't until i sat and actually genuinely wrote down those four questions that i was really able to make a pretty clear decision and so for me in alcohol it was gradual like you said you were asking about the relationship it wasn't a I didn't one day sit down with the bottle of vodka and say, this is the end. <laughs> um, it was very gradual. I just started drinking less because I didn't enjoy it as much. And then I was drinking less. And then it maybe it was special occasions, like our friends get a birthday party. Sure, I'll have a few drinks. And then eventually it just got to this place where I was just so much happier not drinking that I just stopped doing it. And so mm. as an example, my wife and I opened a gym um, last year in Nakamegado. It's called Power Spot. And when we opened it, you know, obviously everyone's <laughs> celebrating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had um, you know, some some of the friends who came brought bottles of champagne, and you know, everyone opened the bottles and celebrated. And, you know, somebody poured me a little cup of champagne, so I had a sip of the champagne, and I just I immediately was just like, I don't really want to drink this. I just gave it to the next person, and so it, it's gotten to this place where even when I drink a tiny bit of alcohol, I might be like, I don't drink at all, but if I sip the champagne, I realize mm. like, ah, uh, this is not what I really want. Or I know that if I go ahead and have three, four, five, six drinks. Like I kind of know where this will go and it's not somewhere I want to go. And I think knowing that really just makes it so much easier to not do it. Mm. So yeah, it was a gradual, slow breakup, but it really stemmed from asking myself those four critical questions, coming to a place of clarity around those answers and then just moving away. It's just a, just naturally gravitated away over time. That's great. And those four questions, of course, you know, they're not exclusive to relationship with alcohol. They can be for any yeah. habit, anything that you're doing anything. that you're like, why am I doing exactly. it? Like just questioning the status quo of your own life. Exactly. Um, exactly. Questioning those habits that you have going, especially when you feel, as you described, like the diminishing returns. And just for, uh, exactly, you know, for transparency, I'm a little bit older than you. So I just turned 46. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think it's taken, I'm, I'm getting every now and then these like Facebook memory pop ups. He's showing my age using Facebook. Yep. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I was like, oh, there. God, I'm so hungover. Oh, oh it's awful. Yeah. And then I was looking back like, yeah. wow, it's taken me 12 years to to learn this lesson and then I just felt like yes. I had far too many experiences last year in 2022 where yeah. I had like two or three glasses of wine and as yeah. my dad calls it I was talking to God on the great white telephone <laughs> like, this isn't good this isn't good and and oh, I can't sleep because I'm like feeling the like a poison going through my veins maybe it's time 
And I remember I went to a dear friend, Nomi's house, and we had gorgeous, gorgeous Dom Perignon champagne. So it wasn't, you know, cheap rubbish. And I was like, I don't feel good when I got home. I was like, okay. And that that was, so I feel kind of glad, like that was the last alcoholic drink that I've had. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Several glasses of Dom Perry. So it's it's all good on that. I didn't know that it was going to be the last drink that I would have, but there it is. And originally I said, okay, I've got into Tokyo Marathon. Hooray. I will, I know I have to get up early to run three times a week. I'll just give up alcohol till Tokyo Marathon. And then we'll see. So I had an external goal. I knew I'd have to get through Christmas and Oshogatsu, New Year. But kind of afterwards, I realized when he got to the marathon, I was like, well, if I can do Christmas, Oshogatsu, Bonenkai season, end of year season, I could do that. I'm probably all right. Like those are big crunch points for habits and identity. And then now it's once I, for me, I was like, I made one big decision. And it stops me from having to make any more decisions. And that's been quite like yes. freeing. I also, though, never say never because that will restrict me too much. I say, I'm never drinking again. I agree. I'll rebel no, against myself. I agree. Mm, yeah. T- tell, I agree. So tell me more. I, I would tell love me to more. Have... Yeah. Well, I'll jump into that because I love that. That's a that's a really good point. And you'll notice I mentioned specifically that I had that sip of champagne. It was Don Perry <laughs> at the opening nice. of the gym. So I'm, I'm not... I'm not so violently against alcohol that if somebody sips it, it's like you're a sinner. Like, of course not. Alcohol is fine. Yeah. It's it's something that if people choose to engage with, that's completely okay. I chose not to for my own reasons. You obviously started experiencing some of those kind of you know, realistically medical issues as a result of drinking yeah. it, where your body was telling you this is not good. And so you listened to your body. Unfortunately, many people don't take the time to listen to their own bodies because they never take pause to discern between what life is like with alcohol versus what life is like life is like without it. And that typically happens because at least as an, as an American, most of the people who start drinking I, begin in either high school or college. They shouldn't mm. be starting in high school, obviously, but it happens. Oh. It's either high, high school or college, and then they do it all through adulthood. So realistically, most people who drink and they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s may not actually have a memory of adult life extended adult life without alcohol. It's just a part of yeah. their life now. And mm. so I, and I have to share this. It's very relevant. I just posted it, um, I believe two days ago, which is perfectly apt. You can find this on LinkedIn. I just posted probably two, three days ago. You may have seen it. A friend of mine, a, a childhood friend of mine last year in December texted me and he said, many, I think I need your help with something. Can we talk? I said, sure. So got on the phone. This is like kid I spent you know, best friend for like four years old. One of my closest friends for probably four or five years old in my hometown. We grew up all together in college. We partied together and he's, he, well, you know, he, absolute massively close friend. And, and I said, sure. So we got on the phone uh, December last year and he said, you know, I've gotten to this point where my relationship with alcohol is more negative than positive. And I think I need to just like, I need to get away from it. And not from the point of I'm an alcoholic and I need help. I need to go CAA. It was just, I know that I'm not really making good decisions when I drink and I really want to move away from it, mainly for my physical health mm-hmm. and to be a better father for my, at that time, three-year-old son who's now four. So he really approached it as like, I want to lose weight. I want to form good habits. And I feel like alcohol is getting in the way of me doing that. Uh, maybe I'll need you and your services. And I said, you know, friend, I would absolutely be happy to help you. I actually think a great thing to do might be if we just, if I just help you 
with accountability. So like you can kind of lean on me as that person. And so he said, sure, what do we do? And I said, okay, this, this actually came right from James Clear as well, Atomic Habits. We basically, we had the conversation, we made an agreement, like an accountability contract is again, how James mm-hmm. Clear referred to it. And then, and then he was off and running. So starting January 1st, he had this contract agreement that he and I had made. And I texted him in May to check in on him. It had been a while since we had talked. I remember messaging him in May and we had a long you know, phone conversation and he was just telling me about how much better things were. He said, man, yeah, this is great. Da, 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 da. It's going really well. And then, and then I left him alone. And then two days ago, when I posted this post on LinkedIn at 6 a.m., because he's, he's in the U.S., I got a message mm-hmm. from him saying, so you know, 6 a.m. Japan time, saying, basically, I'm down 30 pounds, haven't touched a sip of alcohol since January. I can't believe how easy this is. You know, my work is better, sleep is better, uh, fitness is better, overall health is better, et cetera. Um, like, thank you so much for, you know, for for helping me with this whole thing. And like, I did very little. <laughs> we just, we kind of had a really, really, we had a really meaningful conversation. I threw a couple references away to go watch and maybe read and listen to. We had another kind of follow-up conversation just prior to the new year starting. And then you know, he was off and running. And and his whole life has changed over the past 10 months, his entire life has changed as a result of not drinking. And so in terms of what I do and the value and, you know, accountability, I I don't think it can be overstated. Um, mm. a- alcohol can be part of a healthy lifestyle, of course. Um, but in general, if more people took time to not drink, and when I say time, I mean, not dry January, I mean, three months, maybe six months, ideally a year, I think they would realize how much better they feel, look, perform, et cetera, without alcohol than with it. And I think if more people had the opportunity to realize that, they would probably transition away. And so that's that's the side that I'm on. I, I've, I've made that transition myself. I just saw my best friend from childhood do it. You've done it. Every person who's... I, I have yet to meet anyone who has decided to stop drinking alcohol and has said, wow, my life is so much worse now that I don't drink. Literally yeah. in my entire existence, I've yeah. never met a single person. If you're listening, that. so that, if you're that person and listening, please, please contact us. We'd love to hear <laughs> yeah, If you are, please let yeah. me know. Um, yeah, that's a re- really interesting point. And, and what I'm taking away as well, because, you know, I always like to think about how we connect it to, to other themes and different things. It's like how important yeah. it is to have yeah. someone on your side who believes yes. you and doesn't judge you and is yes. just there absolutely only in support. Not like, oh, Menya, yes. are you sure? Because you do like a whatever. Or go on, why don't you just, oh. Like when I gave up smoking as well, I was like, yes. God, just have one. And so many just yeah. have one. <laughs> I was like, yeah. just get out of my business. So having yes. these people, very high pitch <laughs> yes. there. Like what's it to you? Hmm. And so I think, there's a lot to be said what we can do about being like good allies for people who yes. are doing yes. something, whatever it is, whether it's they're learning a new musical instrument or trying to yep. put in a new any type of new habit or stop something or start something, what we can do as a, from accountability and yeah, just yes. being unconditionally supportive. There are Go. two things there I'd love to jump yes. into and try to keep it short. This might be difficult, but one is the the you know the ally the individual and i'd say the other is probably environments and mm-hmm. if i use this friend it's just easy to find it so 
in terms of an ally, I was his primary ally. He contacted me because I'm a childhood friend. I happen to be in the industry. I've been an advocate of not drinking for a few years now because I don't drink anymore. He obviously saw that, resonated, reached out to me because he, like, you know, we partied a lot together. We did a lot of drinking and all that together. So he knew that I know what it's like to do that. Mm. But also I had done something he hadn't done yet, which is move away from it. And so he leaned on me as a friend to help with that process. That's the ally side. So I was certainly his primary ally. And as a result, you know, again, his life has changed. On the other side, you have environment. And one of the things I was interested in in my follow-up conversation with him, which was, again, two days ago, was when he talked about his greatest fears about not drinking, they had nothing to do with like craving alcohol when at home or after a stressful day. And it had everything to do with the social implications. And one of them in particular, which really, or two of them in particular, which really stood out are his close friends and his nuclear family, like specifically his father. And who who drinks like fine? He's, he doesn't have an issue with alcohol, but it's just a part of what they did together. So his in his early his kind of early time with drinking, it was a, it was a way in which he kind of connected with yeah. his father, and they have a great relationship. And so he was think the the hardest thing for him was how am I going to engage with and maintain relationships with these guys who are really close to me, and you know I've attended their weddings, they came to mind, they're they're dear to me, but our 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 world revolves around this drinking thing, and then. How do I reconnect with my own father in a way um, that's meaningful when a lot of our connection has been based around or been lubricated by this alcohol? Literally, thing? yeah. <laughs> and right. And so, in terms of environment, again, he had he had a lot to kind of when he was in those environments, with those friends, like he mm. had a lot, he had a lot of challenges. But what he what it, he sorry to be clear, he thought it was going to be very challenging. But I think what was really nice for me to hear was that. When he told those friends that he was no longer drinking, that he was taking some time away from drinking, what he found most surprising was how supportive they were of his decision. Mm. And he specifically pointed out there was only one person who actually made it pretty challenging to move away. And um, and it was just you know one of those, well, let's say he had five close friends, only one of those friends who kind of made it challenging, but the other four were very, very supportive. And so I think environment plays a big part. And if you've got you know, you've got a supportive ally like myself, let's say, and then you've got a community or an environment that supports you and your decision, whatever it is, mm. losing weight, um, improving your health overall, not drinking, stopping smoking, whatever. Uh, I think it goes a really long way. But it, on the flip side, if you don't, it makes things very, very challenging. So again, to bring this into Tokyo and kind mm. of people I work with, when I've got, you know, a recruiter who drinks way more than he knows he wants to, but everyone in his immediate environment and his work family drinks all the time. It's very, very difficult to not drink because you're the one, um, you know, in a sea of the many yeah. who are all doing the thing. And so really one of the best ways to, to transition from doing something that you maybe don't want to do to doing something you want to do, or even just from not doing anything to doing something you want to do is to join a community where the habit or thing you're trying to do is normal. And if mm. you can do that, it just makes it so much easier to transition from wherever you are now to that new place you're trying to go. Right. And again, for this friend of mine, I, I'm like I'm extremely happy for him. I was I was beaming this whole conversation I had with him, but it was just so nice to see that he went from where he was to where he is now. And again, his life has genuinely changed as a result of it. And most of the people who form new habits and stick to those habits really have to reformat their environment. And that could mm. be immediate, could be like very close friends and even sometimes partners. And uh, but it also could be a little more extended, like 
you know, work family or, or even like physical location, geographical location, but environment plays a huge role in the decisions we make. And if you can, if you can kind of bend that to your favor or, or place yourself in environments that support your values, the decisions you want to make, then change of any sort is so much easier. I think that's really important to acknowledge and to be mindful of when you're making those types mm -hmm. of changes and actually going, hang on, how, yeah. how am I going? Because knowing that I'm in an environment where it's not the norm. Right. Okay, so I need yes. to go out and find that. I need to be aware of that. And I think you exactly. know, when you're talking about non-communication, as uh, David Sweet had mentioned, and also just that idea of like, there's it's not even like a kind of fear of missing out yep. short-term belief like re like people get assignments people get jobs because of yes. the after hours yes. networking they do um, yes. yes and like looking at that trade-off though about like what's the overall quality of life that I want and what do I tolerate yep. what am I willing to tolerate or not in order to or yes. what am I willing to pay right in yes. order to get that back it isn't I'm not uh, minimizing the decision that it is at all um and that I'm sure for many of your clients it's like a really real a fear real or real risk um so that's yes. making me think yes. um you know I work in also uh around inclusion um and yes. what organizations are doing about what their drinking culture is and and how that's impacting mm. health and wellness and I don't think as you say like everyone can join in as they wish to join in, but just kind of normalize choice, <laughs> normalize Correct. what people want to do. Correct. And as you said, not Correct. to be like, oh, oh, that's the choice that you've made. Oh, you're a vegan, are you? <laughs> or something, you know, oh, you're not drinking. And yeah. I think it's it might be different as well. There might be a gender angle on this too, which is around, you know, for for women. So if you're not drinking, this doesn't happen to me now because I'm that bit older, but when I was younger, it was, you know, whatever, have a little, like, I'm not drinking. It's always like, are you pregnant? And and often mm, it's, I was. Interesting. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, three, three times I was. One one time I, I had a miscarriage, so that, that didn't quite work out, but uh, uh, okay. it was very early. Mm. But yeah, it's also, well, it's kind of weird, a weird entry point, but I feel like there's a different expectation about how men engage with alcohol, which is different for women. I think the women's Definitely. drinking culture has changed a lot. But I feel like for men, it's I think it's more getting more important part of female friendship now. But I think for men, it's it's almost in in some cultures like necessary part, right? How lashed can we get together? <laughs> it's almost a necessary lubricant in and that's and uh, that's not the appropriate word, but it's it's often considered a necessary lubricant in many male circles mm. and. Again, if you think about its origin for most, again, Americans, it's probably like high school, college, where, where you do it with your buddies, whoever those are. What, like you might be, if you're into sports, yeah. then it's your sports people. If you're, you know, whatever your circle is, whatever you yeah. do, it's that. Dungeons and Dragons. And then, let's go. Exactly. And then as you get into adulthood, again, it, it, it changes, but it always, it's always this thing you go out to do together. And frankly, of course, a lot of it revolves around uh, meeting people. Like, frankly, if you're in your early 20s and you're going out to bars and you're drinking, you're probably interested in meeting somebody who might be of romantic interest. So an easy way to do that is go out and meet the guys, have a few drinks, meet some people, engage, and then maybe yeah. that turns into 
our relationship. Maybe it doesn't. That's a huge part of what draws people out. But there are other ways to go about it. And so this is somewhat interesting, maybe to mention, you mentioned Sogo Fitness, which is a community that I co-founded some years ago. Myself and the two others who co-founded that, uh, Mike and Maha, we created that space because we want, this is at the time, I was in like 28, because we wanted a place where, mind you, we were all partiers. We, we liked to drink, like we liked to have fun and go out and all that. That was actually an integral part of our forming was that. But on either Saturday or Sunday, at some point in the weekend, we wanted to go out and kind of like sweat it out and meet people in a place where we did not drink, where right. alcohol was not at all part of what we did. And so we just ended up meeting in Yogi Park and it started off with the three of us kickboxing and then it turned into five and then it was 10 and then it was 20 and then it was 50. And then we had at some point we had a hundred people out there just working out and having fun and nothing about it had to do with alcohol or partying. It was just, you know, fitness became the way in which we could connect with people. So I think when it comes to community and environment, we built Sogo on the premise of alcohol not being the foundation. Mm. And I think if you think about bars and clubs and, often many restaurants, food and drink is kind of the foundation of what brings people together to meet and yeah. communicate. We wanted to use fitness in that way. And, and you know, we've since grown out and created a whole bunch of different events that offer a whole bunch of different things from Pilates and run clubs and all that. And to this day, none of our events revolve around alcohol, really. I think we actually do. <laughs> I think at this point, ironically, we do a beer run. One of the, one of the, <laughs> one of the run communities does a specific yeah. beer run, but um Again, it's not like it's not a sin. It's just typically it's not what the community is about. Right. Of course, it can be a part of it. People do go out and obviously drink afterwards if they want to, but it's not it's not kind of ingrained in the community. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that we were able to build a place that stands by that. And it's been mm -hmm. doing that for the past seven, seven and a half years. Yeah. So and there's that whole thing of, you know, so the endorphins are flowing. Is that the right one? And the cortisol is reduced. Yeah. So there's and I think it's it's when we're in those when we're approaching someone for the first time and we're trying to make a connection, the reason because alcohol does numb a lot of and Correct. changes the hormonal exactly. balance, we're less exactly. worried about the rejection and we can take it. So if you can create exactly. environments where the stress hormones are lower. Literally, literally then, that, exactly. Yeah. We're going so to park yeah. working out together. It's very easy to engage like, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so without that social lubricant you just don't need it because the, the social lubricant is the workout or yeah. the run or the yoga class or yeah so it became a great way for like people to connect and it, it's it's remained that way it's remained focused on fitness and connection fitness and connection so go fitness is just fitness and connection and mm -hmm. yeah i love it and um i'm very proud to have made that with the people we made it with and like very happy to continue co-directing it with a whole bunch with a you know really enthusiastic leadership team that you know, is constantly changing as people enter different stages in life. But in general, it really is about environment. And I think actually COVID helped me transition away from drinking because I realized by creating this community, like, okay, this is the power of environment. And so the community wasn't about drinking, even though, again, me and the co-founders, like we partied together a lot, yeah. but the community itself wasn't centered on partying. And so I realized like, okay, so I can engage with other people who aren't necessarily just all about drinking and we can do other things and then i realized basically it's possible to exist in tokyo or you know at this age and not drink <laughs> and then it just became much easier to transition away great and i love that idea too of you know if the community isn't there this is, i'm always a big proponent of this if the community that you're looking for you can't find it just build it yourself 
build because, it. Oh yeah. my goodness, couldn't agree more. Someone, yes. someone is there. Your people are there. Your tribe are there looking for yes. you. Um, yes. And, but you don't need to build it to like be as big as Sogo. You just need to have one other person and then you have a community, it. right? And it, it might grow. It. it might not. But it's going to be as you like this mindful creation of environment. So I know there was a exactly. million other topics that I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, yes. But looking at my clock, I'm like, oh, maybe I need to move on to our final two questions, um, which okay. are, because this might give us a chance yes. to sneak one in a little. <laughs> Segway segue in there. Okay. In there. <laughs> um, which is, what's the question that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you, Menya? Oh, yes. Um <laughs> You don't need to choose one of the ones that I said before. You can just choose something that you're interested Fair enough. in as well. Fair enough. What's something you haven't asked me that you should have asked me? Yeah. I would say this. This is definitely not one of the things that um, you and I had specifically touched on. A huge part of what I do as a coach is help people believe in their own ability to change. And so if I could really just leave people with something in terms of the, the question you didn't ask me is, you know, what would be something you know, I might want to leave with, leave the audience with? I would say, recognize that you have the ability to do whatever it is you make a priority in your life. And I think really knowing that and internalizing that is extremely, is extremely empowering. Mm -hmm. And everyone I work with, as I mentioned, I really want them to, over the course of our time together, understand that deeply. Because once you understand that, you realize that whether it's losing weight, getting fit, not drinking, not smoking, whatever, making more money, getting promoted, you realize you really do have a lot of control, um, but you have to believe. And, and I think that belief in one's own ability to change is where it all starts. And so really, if there's one thing that I, I you know, hope to leave people with, it's knowing that you can do whatever it is you want to do. And, and if you can't do it alone, that's okay there's always going to be someone out there who can help you. My friend, he tried not drinking time mm. and time and time again. Again, he's not an alcoholic. He just tried not doing it. It didn't work. And then he reached out to his you know, childhood friend who just happened to be me. And again, he did it. And like, this just happened. It's <laughs> like, this is very yeah. fresh and, and real. Mm. Um, there are people like that who can support us. It might be, a, I happen to be his friend and a professional, but you know, it might be a professional. It might be a friend. It might be a colleague. It might be a family member. Um, but if there's something you're trying to do and you're struggling with it, like go out there and get someone who can be your ally and and go do it. Um, and I, I really want people to know that that's, that's possible. If you can't do it alone, it's okay. Go find a friend, ally, professional, whatever to help you and you can get it done and promise. That's wonderful. Yeah, there's no medals, are there, at the end of the day going, well done, you yeah. achieved this thing and you did it on your own. So you get this special, special yeah. prize because no. you struggled through. No um yeah. what's the priority is 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 yeah making that change and and having that new habit Correct. or whatever it is that's that's serving you and bringing to your goals so yeah yes. the, the word is popping in my head around like is it cheating it's like I, what a no, strange judgmental voice is like in the back of anyone my head. yeah if you anyone who's ever Anyone who's ever made it in any respective industry and I put made it in presence made it whatever that means anyone who's yeah. ever made it anyone will safely say, I did not get here alone. Mm -hmm. And I mean, literally anyone, biggest yeah. pop stars, movie stars, celebrities, athletes, whoever you ask, 
they will swear that they did not get there on their own. And they're not lying. They're just at a place they recognize this isn't a solo act. Getting here isn't something I did because I'm special or I'm endowed. No, it's because of, you know, in many cases, the team, the support team, yeah. you know, they or we have around us. And so that team, that's your environment. That's your that's your community. So if you can if you can lean on those people and select people who who really help you be your best you, like anything is possible, really. Yeah, you've just reminded me of um, Steve Judge, who was a previous guest on the podcast, and he talks about I think in his second book, which is out now, he talks about your golden gang. Um, mm, I like that. Yes, because he's a he's a para uh, para athlete and about gold medals and okay. all that kind of thing so yeah it's about your golden gang so this environment that you have around you so yeah let's uh not yeah. be strangers everyone believe in ourselves and i think you already gave your your final message menu so all of your contact information is going to be in the show notes down below yes. um when it's on youtube but in the podcast it will be scroll down if you're listening now yeah. so it should all be there and yeah. on the uh, on the blog post as well so thank you so much, Menya. Any final other closing message you want to leave? This is Jennifer. This has been a pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity to you know, share the message of better health and fitness. I think one way or another, I'm in the industry. I'm aspiring for better health and fitness. I want to live a long, healthy life. And that's what I, I hope to share with people. So I really appreciate the opportunity to share the message and hopefully to inspire and motivate those who are listening to go out there and, you know, be the difference <laughs> that they that they want to see. And it's um it's possible. Whatever you're aiming to do is possible. Find your golden gang. I love that term. I'm probably gonna steal <laughs> that and use it. <laughs> Find your golden gang and you know, together you can do incredible things. So uh, thank you for having me. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Menya. Take care. Appreciate Bye. it. Bye, Jennifer. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.